Good morning, everyone. This this feels like a like a regrouping service, doesn't it? We've all been off doing our own thing uh, for the summer, and now we're back, and it's so good to break bread together. It's the first thing we do, regrouping and regathering after our summer. It's lovely to do with the children. I don't know. Do do you like getting back into routine? There's some people that are definitely like that. Do, do some people hate getting back into routine? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a few free spirits amongst us as well. It, it does affect everybody uh, in different ways. But as we are looking at the autumn term stretching out before us, I thought that the best thing we can do as a church here in Totnes today is just to remember what we're all about and to to just gather around some of the things that we've committed to as the Church of Jesus Christ here in Totnes. We are all the people that have agreed that we are going to go with the good news and grow followers of Jesus. That is like our mission statement as a church. That is one way that we try to describe who we are as the people of God here. Those who go with the good news and grow followers of Jesus. And our verse for 2016. I think I've uh, got it so that it can go up. That doesn't look very convincing. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. Take it out. I'll shut it back in again. Thankfully, I know it. <laughs> okay. We got Ollie on the case, it's alright. The verse for 2016 is from Acts 18, verses 9 and 10. And it says, Do not be afraid. Do not stay silent and keep on speaking. There we go. Okay. That's a bit further on, I think. Never mind. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not stay silent, for I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Okay, that's our verse for the year. It's all about becoming aware that God has got many people in our vicinity who he has in his heart and he wants to send us to speak the gospel to. He's got people prepared for salvation. So my message today is all about going out with the good news and growing followers of Jesus. It's all about uh, helping us to remember the call on our lives this year, to, to go out and meet as many people as possible that God has prepared for salvation in this area and to speak on his behalf. And so I've called this session uh, Wild Goose Chase and all will become clear. Aidan, one of my heroes, was an Irish monk from the monastery that St. Columba had founded on the island of Iona. King Oswald of Northumbria invited the monks of Iona to send a mission to his lands in the middle of the 7th century. After much prayer and preparation, Aidan arrived with 12 other monks and chose to settle on the island that the English had renamed Lindisfarne. 
Here, Aidan established an Irish-type monastery of wooden buildings, a small church, small circular dwelling huts, perhaps one larger building for communal purposes, and in time, workshops, etc., as was needed. Here, the monks lived a life of prayer, study, and austerity, although in this, Aidan was said to have been a moderate. Come on. <laughs> Especially by Irish standards. But from here, they went out on a mission. First, they needed to learn English, uh, and their English king, Oswald, had learnt Irish in his boyhood in exile, so he helped them. Then they went out, using Aidan's only method as a missionary, which was to walk the lanes, talk to the people he met, and interest them in the faith if he could. His monks visited and revisited the villages where he sowed the seeds, and in time, local Christian communities were formed. One story tells that the king, worried about Bishop Aidan, would walk like a peasant, gave him a horse, but within hours, Aidan gave it away to a beggar. He wanted to walk, to be on the same level as the people he met and no doubt to vary his approach when he discovered something of their background and attitudes. I read that after 16 years, Bishop Aidan died at Bambra in 651 AD. We do not know his age. What he had achieved may not have been clear to him at his death, but subsequent history showed the strong foundations and lasting success of his mission. The missionaries trained in the school that he founded went out and worked for the conversion of the whole of Anglo-Saxon England. Aidan was just one of many bright shining lights in the dark ages. History records that the Celtic Church was the most successful evangelistic movement that the British people had ever seen. People like Ninian the first evangelist in Scotland, David, who had such an influence in Wales, Patrick, a Scot who evangelised Ireland, Columba, an Irishman who led many in Scotland to Christ, Brendan, who was so stirred to reach people that he, got, he built a coracle made of wood and leather and set out across the Atlantic Ocean in search of God's lost children. That takes him doing. Some say he was the first to reach the Americas. There's um, some very early manuscripts from the 9th century that talk about Brendan's uh, magnificent journey. And in that, if you sift through all the sea monsters and all the sort of folklore that's kind of found its way in there, you can pick out all sorts of features of, of land masses and things that he encountered along the way. And it talks about ice and it talks about forested areas. And then eventually it talks about low-lying sandy islands in a warm sea. So he could have actually reached the Bahamas. I don't know. But some people think it, that he did because it was tested back in 2005. Somebody built a coracle uh, and sailed it across the Atlantic to prove that it could be done. All of them, all of these amazing, fiery Christians carried a particular symbol for the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit for them was represented as a bird, but not a peaceful and serene dove landing on Jesus at his baptism. For their symbol of the Holy Spirit, the Celtic people chose the wild goose. The wild goose. Interesting. We, it, it may seem almost offensive to our ears that the Holy Spirit would be pictured in this way, I don't know. Uh, but actually there's an awful lot to this symbol and this concept of the Holy Spirit represented as a wild goose. We can pick up the basic idea. The Iona community's website gave me some helpful points as to why this was. To begin with, wild geese are not controllable. You can't restrain a wild goose and bend it to your will. It won't behave. They are unpredictable. You can't always track them or know what they will do next. They're raucous and loud. Unlike the sweet and calming cooing of a dove, a goose's honk is strong and challenging and strident and unnerving. It's a bit scary, isn't it? You got a whole pack of those geese, they, they almost look like they're kind of well-armed cockneys or something. I think. They've got a bit of intimidation there. They can be scared. In much the same way, the Holy Spirit can be demanding and unsettling and impossible to tie down to any one place. Sometimes hard to keep track of and totally unpredictable. For them, the wild goose of God was always unsettling them, never allowing them to get too tied down or hemmed in, always moving, always ready to make a noise and to stir up new places wherever he went. It's a powerful symbol, I think. I think it's, a, it's an element, it's a, it's a lifestyle of Christianity that maybe has become too distant for us. Mark Batterson said, I cannot think of a better description of what it's like to pursue the Spirit's leading through life than the wild goose chase. I think the Celtic Christians were onto something that institutionalised Christianity has missed out on. And I wonder if we have clipped the wings of the wild goose and settled for something less, much less, than what God originally intended for us. I like that. Have we clipped the wings of the wild goose of God? Have we lost our spirit of adventure? I hope not. These fiery Celts modelled themselves very, very simply on Jesus. The spirit that descended on Jesus like a dove. It's a wonderful image. It's rich in symbolism that's worth looking into. But I think if you look at his ministry, it could easily be described in these terms as wild goose ministry. Jesus, in the way he went about all of life, it was very untamed. He, he was unpredictable. He was always longing to move on through unreached areas. Just I, I, I did a quick study in the scriptures of all of the, the constant moving on never staying in one place, always deciding that there is somewhere else to go. 
Uh, I did a study just, just looking at all the different points in Jesus' ministry when he does that. And there's, just, there's so many verses. Just listen to these. Mark 4, 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the sea. John 11, verse 7. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Mark 2.23, one Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, uh, lost the last bit of that verse, sorry about that, talks about having to move on to new villages, because that's where he was sent. Mark 10 verse 1, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea, across the Jordan. Mark 10.32, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Mark 10.46, then they came to Jericho, and as his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving that city, dot, 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 when Jesus stepped ashore, this is Luke 8, verse 27, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. John 4, verse 6, Jesus, tired as he was from his journeying, sat down at the well. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He's just reached a new region. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and sickness. Luke 13, 22. Are you getting the picture? Jesus then went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way towards Jerusalem. Mark 1, 38. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. For that is why I have come. Wild goose ministry. And I've not even said about all the adventures that happened on the way. When he says, let's go over the lake, and what happens? A big storm comes up, and they've got to deal with that, all the rest of it. And people that, that uh, cross his path, you know, lepers show up, and, and people get healed, and, and he gets challenged by certain people, and opposition comes. You know, all of that stuff that happens along the way. It's just a, a constant adventure, constantly moving, driven by this passion that he has to go into the unknown, to discover the lost people that God is seeking to reach. Some of his decisions to go somewhere, they seem strange to me. If you, if you look at these through the gospel, often there's no particular reason why Jesus wants to move that you can see other than what happens next in the story. So at the point when Jesus says, right, okay, we're going to go, we're going to go over here. There's nothing over there that, that we can see before he goes there. And then you understand later on why he's gone to a certain region. Often he's just gathered a huge following and established a centre for ministry. Like in Capernaum. Like when he crossed over the Sea of Galilee and he feeds the 5,000 and they're all planning on making him king. Because they're so passionate and so excited about who this Jesus is and they want to follow him. <coughs> At both of those times when there is a centre of ministry happening and Jesus could have been absolutely forgiven for putting down roots, staying put and creating a megachurch around him he goes up on the mountain to pray both times and both times he comes down and says I've got to go to the small villages and the back streets the obscure places because that is why I was sent 
That's where the Spirit was constantly leading him. You see, the Father knows that his children are lost and scattered all over the area. And he wants to call them home. And he knows that not all of them are going to go and seek out Jesus spontaneously. So he won't let Jesus settle too long in one location. He leads them out and again and again and again into the unknown areas to set up divine... And the Father sets up divine encounters for Jesus with his lost ones. But Jesus has to go by faith. He has to go from the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He has to go because his heart has been arrested by his Father's heart for the lost. That's what motivates Jesus. To look down the road and say, okay, I can't stay here. There's a great example of this in Mark chapter 5. So that, in fact, let's, first let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Because I just want to set the scene for what happens in Mark chapter 5. So open, up, open your Bibles. Mark chapter 5, put your finger there and then go back to Isaiah and chapter 9. Isaiah 9 and verses 1 and 2. Isaiah prophesies this, There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on he shall make it glorious. By way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. This is spoken by Isaiah 400 years before Jesus began his ministry. Now, jump over to Mark chapter 5. In fact, this story starts in chapter 4, verse 35. It says this, on that day when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. Jesus wants to move. Mark 5 verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwellings amongst the tombs. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and the mountains, gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he says, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Goes on a dramatic deliverance and encounter for this man who was called Legion because he had so many demons in him. He was, they were like a legion of demons. And these demons come out of this man, they go into a herd of pigs, the herd of pigs rush down the mountainside into this Sea of Galilee. That's one way to upset a new region, isn't it? Yeah. That's, a, that's a pretty honking goose right there. 
So he does that. And then verse 14, the, the herdsmen of the pigs ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it, de- sorry, those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man, and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. That region of the Decapolis is the same region that Isaiah was prophesying about 400 years before. Ten cities were amazed by that man's telling of what Jesus had done. It was like a light was switched on for the kingdom over those ten cities. Can you imagine the joy in heaven when finally the light of the kingdom dawned in that region and people in their droves came home to God? 400 years of waiting. And it all started with Jesus saying, come on, it's the end of the day. I know you're tired, but let's go over there. Didn't know who he was going to meet. He just sensed the Father and the prompting of the wild goose of God calling him across the sea. That's what the Celtic Christians understood as basic Christian ministry. There was something in the Celtic church also that was very, very present, that they were settlers as well as pioneers. Mm. So if you're listening to this and thinking, well, that's all very good for you who love pioneering, but I'm a settler. I don't particularly like to go anywhere. And some of us are a bit like that. The Celtic Christians loved settling. They loved community. They loved routine. They loved tradition. They loved fellowship. They loved creating rhythms and structures so that they could... Uh, enjoy life to the, to the greatest extent and yet have God weaved into the very fabric of their day. They were very intentional and they loved setting up monasteries. They loved setting up communities, putting down deep roots. And some of these places lasted centuries and centuries and centuries. And there are some amazing move, Christian movements built on the foundations today. These people were not just always blown by the wind. They also knew how to settle. But though they were settlers, though they loved fellowship with one another, though they loved to put down roots and to be community people, they refused to ignore the call of God to his lost people in their regions. And there's something about living in that tension and managing that tension and going forward, allowing the Holy Spirit to create community but also to be driven out, which I find is, is a kind of Christianity that I just so much lean into. It's such a a wonderful way to live your Christian life. They knew 
even though they loved predictability, even though they loved routine, they know you can't meet the, the Zacchaeus types or the Bartimaeus types or some nutcase in a graveyard type <laughs> if you don't move through their region with your kingdom eyes open. They would have read these same scriptures. They would, have, they would have asked themselves, would that demoniac have got on in a boat himself and come across the sea to find Jesus? No, he wouldn't have done. Jesus had to move by the prompt. So let's bring this to a point. There is a tradition of local churches seeking to draw people into them. But that's not how things started. A more dominant tradition in the early church was to send people out, to disperse and to establish new communities of faith in new places. That was the end goal. More areas touched by the power of God, more villages turning to Christ. That was the end goal. It wasn't more bums on seats, bigger buildings, more money, that sort of thing, which a lot of churches are sucked into. So what kind of a community do we want to be? Do we want to continue as these people who go with the good news and grow followers of Jesus? What should we do? I've got some ideas. And they're very, very simple. I like simple. I think the Celts like simple. I think Jesus likes simple. I think we should like simple. Number one, pray. Whenever Jesus felt locked into his situation, he would escape through the back door and people wouldn't be able to find him because he needed to pray. If Jesus needed to pray in order to know where to go next and how to organise his life, I think we do too. So the first thing is to pray. As we come into this autumn term, I want to encourage you to be open to what the, the wild goose of God is calling you into. You know, we've done our big Christian festival. You know, we're going to do Alpha, but that can't be the only things we're doing. That can't be the only things that God is up to. This has got to be a lifestyle. And so I want to encourage you all, if you're a member of this church, or you're becoming a member of this church, to this week, shut yourself away with God. And ask Him if He's got anything, anywhere He'd like you to go, which is out of the box, To bless people with the kingdom of God. Simple as that. Is there anything beyond the routine that you'd have me do to reach some of your lost ones, Jesus? You've got to pray. And praying together is a good thing to do too. Because this is number two, agree. Jesus, so often knew that he was called to go to the towns and villages, the first thing he did was go and find his disciples and says, come on everyone, we're going here. He got agreement from his disciples and they moved as a team to the next place. When he sent the disciples out to reach new areas and to preach in the villages and to minister the kingdom and to introduce people to the kingdom of God, he always sent them out in twos minimum. We need the agreements. You can't just... You can go on your own. Sometimes you have to go on your own. There's pioneers that have had to go on their own all through history. But it's much better to go as a team. So Jesus always took the twelve. He often sent those out in groups. 
Aidan went to Linda's farm with 12 from Iona and set up that first mission centre. It's good to go in groups. We, get, we draw so much um, spiritual strength from going in groups. And, and the impossible sometimes seems easy if you can do it with a trusted friend. I love the way we were able to do that at the Christian festival. We went out as a whole church. That somehow made it easy, didn't it? Well, it can't be a one day a year thing. So I want to find other expressions of doing the same thing on smaller scales. Because it opens so many possibilities. Let's seek agreement in what God is whispering to us through our prayers. And then number three, very simple. Don't just hold it as a nice idea. Go. Go. Go and do something beautiful for Jesus. Go and find a way to share your faith. Express your faith in a new way. Go and get involved in a new environment with the specific intention that you want to find someone and share Jesus with them. Go. I think sometimes we wait to be sent. Or we wait for some kind of uh, writing in the sky. We wait for some kind of big sign from heaven that we are authorised to go. I think if you, I think Jesus gave us that authority when he said, all authority in heaven on earth is given to be me. Now go, make disciples. I think he said it in those clear terms because he didn't ever want us to, to wonder whether we've been sent or not. From that point forward, we are sent. If we're followers of Jesus, we are sent out to the lost and the lonely. That's just the way of it. But it's good to have those agreements and accountability in the ways that we're sent. But let's go. So I want to give some ideas. This is by no means an exhaustive list. I believe that the, the Holy Spirit, the wild goose of God, is incredibly creative and will give you ideas that are beyond my ideas and are specific to you. Um, and I want to encourage you to follow those prompts when the Holy Spirit gives you a prompt. But some ways that you can go and minister and bless people with the kingdom in new places. Preaching and serving in new places. If anyone invites you to go and speak at another church, at another small group, at another event, to come and share your faith in any way, more often than not, when Jesus was asked, will you come, he went. If you get an invitation, see it as the wild goose calling you to something new. There's something about just going to a new place and a new environment that opens new possibilities. And you feel different and you feel like I can bring something here. It raises faith. Go. If you're invited to go, go. Going overseas on short-term mission. The very act of going overseas on short-term mission seems to open possibilities and release the Holy Spirit. It just does. If you have an opportunity to go overseas on short-term mission, I want to encourage you to go. It's the sort of thing you can put off for decades. But if God's saying, I want you to go overseas, I want you to see what I'm doing in another place in the world, and you have the finances to do it, or even if you don't have the finances to do it, but you have the call to do it, I want to encourage you to share that with someone and look to go. Because seeing God work in other places is such a powerful thing. And it will grow you more than it impacts them. It may be simpler than that. This term, are you about to start a new job? If you're about to start a new job, see it as like new horizons. I am carrying the Holy Spirit into a new place and be open. Have your kingdom eyes open to what God wants to do. Are you starting a new course? 
You may join a new gym or take up an evening class or something like that. Join a running group, whatever. You could pray over the map with some friends. That's one thing that Christians throughout the centuries have done. Get a map of your local area and start praying over the map and say, God, is there a a town or a village that you want us to bless in your name? And then start investigating and planning and talking to some Christians in that area and working out what could be done. That's an exciting thing to do. What about as home groups? You could pray about a new area you could go and bless together as a group. So much easier to work as a team. What we mustn't do is nothing. There are people in our villages that won't be saved in any other way than for us to go to them. And the Holy Spirit, the wild goose of God, is calling you to a new adventure this autumn. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Every single person here has an adventure in the heart of God if you're willing to accept it. Our job is to prepare ourselves to chase him, to chase the Holy Spirit, and to be gutsy about saying yes and putting things in motion when the Holy Spirit begins to move. Amen? Amen. Amen.